fantastic to be back on a Sunday morning sharing the Word of God with you. So thank you for, for Al for leading the worship and Steve for your introduction. And, and thank you for joining us here, whether you're sat in the room or down the lens of a camera somewhere. Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing Luke 23. And the title I've given this one is The Last, the Least and the Lost at Jesus's Crucifixion. And we're coming to the end of this series. Stu has one more really packed chapter to unfold in the coming weeks. And I'll admit it feels a little bit strange to be looking at this part of the Bible, this, the events around what's usually Easter as we head into the end of the year through autumn. It's a little bit odd, but I'm not actually preparing to, to look in detail at the crucifixion itself, but obviously it's absolutely central to this chapter, and I'm going to make reference to it. So the chapter starts in the trial before Pilate. But I'm going to go back a little bit before that, just a touch into chapter 22 of Luke in verse 66, because that's where, the, that's where Luke records the trial really starting. So chapter 22, verse 66 says, At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea. By his teaching, he started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some sort of sign. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends.
before this, they'd been enemies. So here at the start of the chapter, Luke has introduced us, the readers, to the three groups of people who literally hold Jesus' life in their hands. And they are in contrast to the loving disciples that Jesus had spent the previous night with. These are our men of power and prestige. But I think here they fit into the category of the last. See, what did they want from Jesus? The leaders, the religious leaders, those teachers, had reached the point where their jealousy and their blindness to who Jesus was had peaked and they wanted rid of him. I don't think they could have just done it themselves, though. Their accusations were unsubstantiated and, and beefed up, as we read. And they risked upsetting the crowd of people who'd been following Jesus and thought a lot of him. So these leaders would rather somebody else do the dirty work, somebody else be the bad guy. And Pilate was their man. He was the Roman prefect. He was a governor of Judea. He was the emperor's representative in that part of the Roman Empire. And from what I've briefly read about him, he seems like quite an unpleasant, cruel man. And even here we read that he tried to abdicate responsibility for Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with him. He just wanted to keep the people from rioting and do his lawful duty. So... When he saw the opportunity to send Jesus to Herod, he did. Herod Antipas, the third Mohesan. He was the son of Herod the Great from the birth stories of Jesus. And here he is, the king of Judea. This is the man who had ordered the execution of John the Baptist earlier in, in the book of Luke. And it seems here, as we read it, he, he wants entertainment. He wanted Jesus to perform miracles. He'd heard so much about them. But, of course, that wasn't Jesus. He wasn't a performer. His miracles weren't on request, but the demonstrations of God's power to the people who needed it. This upset Herod, and so he had Jesus mocked and sent back to Pilate. And here's an interesting point that when we're reading this, is that Luke points out that after these events, the two men became friends. Pilate and Herod found some sort of unity in this. That even at this low point, Jesus could still bring people together. And so we've got these men, the leaders, Pilate and Herod. They're all linked by this desire to get rid of Jesus but for very different motives. They were in positions of, of great prominence and they could have used that power for great good in the city, for the area. I think between those three men, they could have brought the love of God to the people who needed it. And they could have created peaceful streets but instead, they were driven by selfish fear. And they acted out of their own needs. 
Back in Luke 13, in verse 30, Jesus told his followers, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. And Jesus came for the last. As a doctor comes to heal the sick, to show those who were mistreating the people the right way to live. Levi, the tax collector, recognized it, followed Jesus. Zacchaeus understood it, repented, gave back to the people. Unfortunately, these men, who considered themselves first, they couldn't see the Christ there before them. And they sentenced the Prince of Peace to death. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him challenging the groups of religious leaders and their rigid stance on how they see the kingdom. They see it as the kingdom of God for the chosen ones, for the clean, for the people worthy enough to come into God's presence. But Jesus, time and time again, reminded them that his Father in heaven doesn't have that view. Riches and power, they're gifts from God. They're to be used for the good of those people around them. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, those with nothing but faith and willingness to be obedient are rich. And those who follow him and trust in his ways can be powerful. And the next group of people I'm calling the least are the ladies, the women in this chapter. And in Luke 23, at verse 27, there's this moment as Jesus is carrying the cross through the streets. It says a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Throughout the stories of Jesus, there are references to the women who would follow him and serve him and hang on his every word. And whereas the first century Jewish man thanked God that he was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman, and it's clear that they had low position both in society and in the family maybe, Jesus put women as the focus of many parables. He centered his teaching on them. He met with them, which was unheard of for a rabbi to do, one-on-one. -on -one. He treated them as worthy outside of their domestic duties that they were expected to do. In this passage, Luke records the only words spoken by Jesus on his way to the place of crucifixion in all the gospel accounts. And it's to these women. Jesus knew at that moment his suffering would soon be over. He was going to his death. And that his father was watching over all the events. He had faith that he knew that God was there. And so his message to these devoted women was, was look after yourselves, take care of yourselves and endure the hardships of this world. 
And then, at that point of crucifixion, when Jesus suffered and died, the women were standing at a distance. They were watching, mourning. And they faithfully followed as Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus to his tomb where he was laid. And later they come back. I'll let Stu go into that. It's exciting. See, Jesus' life and the example that he led changed their lives. He changed these women. He lifted some out of harmful situations they were in. He recognised their value. Jesus came to save the least. Still today, the importance of recognising that value of all people is one that is being fought for. We still have women's rights and children's rights and workers' rights. They're constantly in our news, and rightfully so, please. I look forward to the day when we don't need that, when there is an equality, a true equality. As Jesus has said in Matthew 25, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. And here at Woody, we have a justice value. At the last church meeting, it was recognized as being really important to have this justice value. And it permeates through all that we do, or at least it's what we aim to do. We want to see the least brought into Jesus's kingdom. Our Sunday structure has changed to be a key part of that. Welcoming those who might not feel valued, but they are. And we need to be willing to demonstrate that as part of our commitment. And in this story, I believe that the lost the last, the least, and the lost. The lost are represented by the repentant robber on the cross beside Jesus. He recognized Jesus for who he was. He sought forgiveness and heard Jesus tell him personally that he was redeemed. As I was reading this and writing, I remembered a few years ago, um, around Easter time, I did a sketch with somebody, for the life of me, I do apologize if you're watching, I can't remember who it was stood next to me. Was it you, Laura? I can't remember, I stood next to somebody, I did a sketch, and Mark Mello was involved. And it's a very simple sketch, where you've got two angels, and they're very, very excited. They're excited because it's the Easter story, and they know that Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly mission and they're preparing the welcome banquet. They've got everything ready. Jesus is coming in triumph, returning to heaven after doing what he needed to do. They're very excited, and there's a whole thing of them, what they've been doing, how exciting it's gonna be, what a privilege it's been for the people of earth to have seen Jesus. And there, as they're cheering, and they abruptly stop, because the man who walks in is ragged and scruffy. Mark wasn't, by the way, he, he joined in wonderfully, but. There's a scruffy, ragged-looking man, and they're both a bit affronted. And what's, what's going on? You're not Jesus. And the payoff, of course, is, is that this is the robber. That the robber was the first person to enter heaven after this. 
that he was the first of the redeemed to come into heaven. It's it, obviously, it's a sketch. It's supposed to produce thought and that sort of thing. But it was wonderful to do and just remembering that, that feeling of, of doing it and, and bringing this story. And of course, you could extrapolate that further and say, well, Jesus wasn't there because he was conquering death at that time. And time is wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. You know, it's, it's not linear for Jesus because he was conquering death. He was doing what he had to do. And it was victorious. Jesus came to live on the earth as an amazing example, an example of love and of humbleness. He came to teach that Father God was for all of mankind forever and that that love was obtainable to everyone without jumping through the religious hoops that had been set up. The robber there simply repented and asked Jesus to remember him. And our lives need to show this. It's come back to that fact that we will never work hard enough to earn salvation, that we will never serve enough or be holy enough for God. But isn't that what Jesus showed? That he came to save the last, those who consider themselves of no worth. The woman who put her coppers in rather than the man with the massive amounts of money. He came to save the least, those who aren't important enough for society to care about. For example, the children who Jesus called to his side. And Jesus came to save the lost, those who have made mistakes. They followed the wrong paths, the sinners and the addicts. And, and Jesus chose to spend time with them. And wherever we see ourselves in that list, either now or in the past, whether we were or are the last or the least or the lost, Jesus died for you, for us. Jesus died because God loves you and wants you with him. Jesus' sacrifice made that possible. And just maybe, just maybe, that he wants you to show that to someone else. Someone else that is last, but not in God's eyes. Least, but not to Jesus. And lost, but never out of the reach of the loving Father who created them. I want to close in prayer. I want to say thank you, Father God, for what Jesus did on the cross in making a way for us to come to you. That this account of the crucifixion, it's tragic and you can't help but be filled with sadness for what you went through. But we know that your victory that came at a cost, made a way for us to come before Father God. I praise you for that, Lord God. I praise you that that wasn't for a select group, that it wasn't for the, the elite, 
but it's for everyone, everyone who turns to you, regardless of social standing, of religious opinion, you are welcoming everyone. If we turn to you, if we trust in you, accept you, you welcome us with open arms into your kingdom, into your loving embrace. Lord God, as we go into the week and we meet people who don't know you, I pray that you will empower us by your Holy Spirit, that you will embolden us to share your love in the best way that needs to be heard by those people, whether it's through scripture or whether it's through a demonstration of your love or just coming alongside in people's hurt. I pray, Lord God, that you will give us that incredible mission to go and do that. Assist us, help us, send us out in your name, in your love. Thank you, Father God, that you are enough, that your saving power is all we need. Thank you for your love. Amen.